All right. What do I call you anyway? Uh, Aaron. Aaron. All right. Cool. I mean, yeah, Aaron sorry, Hubbard, that. if you want to be formal, but that's like, I kind of want to be, is that, is that your actual name or is nah, that just it's like, my, it's my stage name. We, uh, I love it. No, dude, I'm, right, I'm in. Right. I was going to ask, are you, are you related to Elron Hubbard? Yeah, we, can, we, can, we, can, we can talk about it. We can talk about it. We should. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the moving forward podcast. This is your host, Corey Cottrell and my co-host Rio Verdinier is in the house. Hey guys. It's like what? 400 milliseconds for that one most really you know the the break is always different and i love that uh we have uh aaron hubbard no relation i think uh in the house uh and and if you could please tell us a little bit about yourself uh, how you came to be you know in the the moving forward uh circle uh and maybe even tell us a little bit uh even right off the jump where where people can find you what kind of things you're into uh yeah so i've been podcasting for about a decade now and uh started off at our uh, network baldmove.com where we talk about tv uh and movies pop culture and you know uh something that i've been passionate about for a long time but is is hard to get an outlet to uh for when you're doing you know pop culture stuff is just talk about like politics and culture so late last year me and uh, my my partner on uh, bald move um and uh my uh wife cecily started another uh uh network called Swizzbold where we're talking about po- uh, pop politics and pop culture and my where i come from is i was raised very conservatively in every sense of the word religiously politically socially economically personally um and I, through just kind of living my life over the last, I'm 43 years old, um, kind of been paying attention to politics for the last 30, uh, I just saw that I was being sold a bill of goods that increasingly looked rotten and started to cause me to reevaluate and look at my life and try to find some kind of framework, some kind of a philosophical and moral framework with which to operate under, which led me to reevaluate my politics and I had a lot of breakthroughs and I, and I, you know, a lot of the fights I see on the internet are from a place of like not understanding and not having empathy with another's plight. And those are things that I was guilty of. And I know the steps that I took to, you know, go from one side to the other. And I'm, I, I spent a lot of time about like, how do you change people's minds and, and how do you give them just the little breadcrumbs they need to get to the next level of understanding? Because, um, I, like you guys, it sounds like, because I've listened to a couple of your podcasts, um, I think that we kind of stand at this divide where we, over the next hundred years, are going to decide whether our species is on a trajectory towards some kind of Mad Max hell world or whether we're going to go to some type of Star Trek utopian society. And I would prefer the latter. Uh, So, like, my continuing mission in the uh, parlance of Star Trek is to help my listeners come up with social technologies I think we'll need to make something like that utopian ideal possible. Um, you know, uh, how do you uh, arrive at like a classless stateless system achieved purely by democratic methods? And what do I mean by social technology? I'm talking about empathy and understanding, but still grounded in fact and pragmatism. Um, and that's why like I have my politics have slowly marched left, but it's hit a pretty big wall when you get to like pure socialism and communism, uh, because, 
you know, there's a lot of problems <laughs> when, when you get to <laughs> because that, to they that don't side. work. Yeah, especially <laughs> authoritarianism. Um, so like right. I, I, you know, and I, I want to, I spend, you know, our our podcast is pretty new. Um, I'm only on episode. I'll be actually recording episode eight tomorrow. Um, but I'm spending a lot of time talking about, you know, uh, race and class and sex and gender and explaining like political concepts uh, that were important to me understanding the way the world works, like the Overton window and how it's used in society. Um, talk about like electoral politics, um, and the pros and cons, because there's tons of people that are out there talk about, you know, argue about policy. Um, but I think, and I, and I actually think your guys's last episode where you're talking about, um, you know, your, your ethics kind of expose this, that like, if you, if, if, if you kind of agree on policy, but you're not agreed on ethics, it's a recipe to just have that same fight another generation, a generation from now. So I encourage everybody to kind of like, you know, really dig into those core philosophical, ethical, moral, um, spiritual um, differences in their frameworks, because that's where I think we'll get real, you know, figure out how to really unify and, and compromise as, as a society. And I, you know, I, I feel personally that I'm uh, I have a lot of like personal conservative principles and I'm a big believer in personal responsibility. Um, I just think as a society, um, some of those things don't work at a societal societal level. Um but yeah, that's 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 what I'm about. Um, I do a show called Three Right Turns over on Swizzbold, Swizzbold.com. Um, and if you like that, you might uh, really like our television and movie coverage because that's a lot more chill and a lot funnier over at BaldMove.com. <laughs> I was actually just reflecting on something you said before we started recording, Ron, which was like um, the most interesting conversations are between liberals and the left. I think the most interesting economic, conversations are between classic liberals and social liberals and everything else I consider to be beyond the pale. Okay. <laughs> That's the way I would put it. Do you want to talk uh, like what are some like, give me some uh, give me some examples of that? Um, right. So like basically liberal democracy is is based on this idea that you have constitutional protections of individual rights that even a majority can't just you know, vote away. Mm -hmm. um, and so ideologies like socialism and communism and fascism um, have what they have in common is that they're all illiberal. They all don't respect the rights of individuals. They all take the collectivist thing too far and give the state too much power over our lives. Um, so what I think are the interesting conversations are within the framework of liberal democracy, which is clearly the best system anybody's tried yet. How do we set policy there? And that, I believe, is the proper, like, borders for what should be acceptable in, um, in like, civil discourse in a democracy. Uh, so I kind of, I broadly agree, but, like, when you say Star Trek Utopia, um, what, is, what do you mean by that? Uh, because like, you know, and, and the, the funny thing is, is I'm actually covering Star Trek Picard, which is kind of blowing up the spot here a little bit, uh, because in classic Trek, uh, it's clearly portraying a post scarcity society, uh, that is classless, that is currency, that, that has no currency, that, uh, has no borders. You know, it's the United Federation of Planets, uh, which is open to ev everyone who maintains a certain, you know, ideology of understanding and tolerance and mutual cooperation, uh, and everyone's life's better by it. Um, is that 
offensive on the face of it or is it just like do you think it's like not possible to achieve or um what what's or, or do you have a difference uh what, what's your star trek utopia look like i i, I gotta jump in because and, and we and we can talk about that but rio it sounds to me especially the way that he described it as far as the federation is concerned um that to me sounds exactly like what you want to replace the un with oh <laughs> Okay. Yeah, no, there's some overlaps. I, I don't know. I mean, Star Trek is a fictional universe, but it deals with a lot of heavy issues that have implications in real life. I think I said in another one of our episodes that one of my um, ethics professors in college actually showed clips from the original Star Trek in class because <laughs> it is a thought-provoking show. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also dirty space I don't like the bodies. idea of a stateless <laughs> society, and I don't like the idea of a classless society. Um, but one, one, one of the uh, core principles of classic liberalism, um, which is really what we call right wing anywhere in the world, um, is is that um, conflict is inevitable and human beings are innately competitive. They And if you try to take away their ability to compete politically by doing, you know, a fascist like destruction of, of, of um, de- the democratic process, or if you try to take away their ability to compete economically, by taking away people's ability to own private capital as they do on the left, um, it, it doesn't work because human beings will just find something else to compete for. I think what we should do is we should stay within the framework pl- of fairly regulated capitalism and move toward a post-scarcity future like, like our friend Chet suggests, simply by making it cheaper and easier to get essential goods. That will solve the problem without having to reshape our political or economic system. So that's, that's what they did. Yeah, I know, but like, I'm just saying I wouldn't call it classless. Like there, it's to me that does sound utopian in the sense of being impossible. There is always going to be a hierarchy, and that's just human. Well, nature. yeah, there's only one captain's chair, which is what everyone is competing for now. So I, I would call I would call that a class system. Well, I think it'll be I think it'll be a very different system from what we have now. Yeah. I mean, I don't like uh, I think that's one of the misunderstandings about the left is that they are. I mean, you, look, you, you we talked about this briefly in the pre podcast discussion. Uh, if you go on the Internet, you got in humanity, you'll find you'll find kooks and nutballs on, on of every stripe. But okay, like what I would consider like a reasonable leftist position is um, they're about uh, and I that's the thing is like I'm right here in the intellectual battle between whether I want to shift further left or not. But I think, uh, you know, a reasonable leftist would say, of course, you need certain hierarchies. You need certain necessary hierarchies. You need people to be able to make command decisions in emergencies or not. What they're about is eliminating unnecessary hierarchies. Um, for example, like, you know, one of the tensions in, uh, in, in our modern society is we believe in an open and free and, transmer- and transparent democracy. And yet a lot of our economy takes place in these very opaque, non-democratic uh, institutions and they have an amazing amount of power over our life and we have very little say in what goes in on the, uh, there and sure that, like banks banks large corporations that have mm-hmm. you know like uh, been you know like like it's this is a pretty easy villain to beat on the fossil fuel industry like you know what mm-hmm. they've known about what they've done to the planet is very similar to like what tobacco industry knew what they were doing to Americans lungs Yet mm-hmm. they conceal that information. Uh, they make it. They, they disseminate disinformation that essentially makes our democracy ineffective and inefficient, and 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 lowers yeah. the quality of all of our life. So, like, yeah, no, I I agree about that. I I think that there are people. The people who are to blame for that are two groups. One is the 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 people who are actually spreading the misinformation and hiding um, the facts, um, which 
really, frankly, doesn't actually work. Um, and and then there are the people who believe the lies, even though it didn't work. Um, and so we, I, I, I think that all of these things are failures of voters. They're failures of American citizens to live up to their civic responsibility, to be informed, and to vote accordingly. Well, but that's been a. I mean, I, I I go to. I've been. I've I've devoted a lot of our podcast thus far, and there hasn't been a lot, but I've devoted a lot to understanding how that happened because I don't think American citizen citizenry just decided to abandon common sense and civic discourse and education. I think that has been uh, very carefully targeted. Um, you know that. Um, are you guys familiar with the concept of the Overton window? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we talk about it. OK, cool. So like there's been several groups, for example, right wing think tank groups that identified the education system as a barrier to their cultural and political power that like, um, you know, accurate facts about uh, the United States founding and our struggle towards, you know, giving people better, more and more individual li- uh, liberties uh, across ever more uh, swaths of society. Um, you know what we you know, how we acquired all this land from its original inhabitants, the effects of imperialism like, you know, in academia, those things are like, you know, pretty well pulled apart and, dis- and discussed in accurate fashion. And mm-hmm. it caused a lot of people to be like, oh, we can't have that because people will start hating America. Um, so how do we push back on that? Let's like, you know, take funding away from public schools. Let's let's then when these public institutions start uh, failing, let's uh, come up with solutions like vouchers so we can pull even more. You know, so those uh, the people that have the means okay. will move them in area. You know, it's like there's there's a there's a concentrated effort into dismantling the public education system in favor for private institutions, homeschooling. And I think that's one of the big reasons that we have an uninformed um you know, uneducated populace that is having a hard time really struggling what's real and what's 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 not real. It's, well, it's Corey's going to agree effort. with that, so I'm going to let him agree out loud, and then I'm going to disagree well, and, out loud. And, <laughs> well, and 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 I'm I'm. I mean, that's just that's that's like <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to pre I'm going to pre butt Rio because like <laughs> pre butt. Oh yeah, because here's the thing: what you hate more than anything is stupid people mucking up your country, right? And your ex party and conservatives in general are overplaying their individualist hand as usual, right? By trying to get rich, rich kids to make all the education choices that they want to make because individuals have their choice to do that. Mm -hmm. But the net result of that is you're killing the universal education system in the United States and then getting mad when everyone's stupid. Yeah. And the the Overton windows, you should be, you should be threatening to sue the government for not tripling funding on, on uh, public education. Okay. So let me, let me respond. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. By all means. (laughs) Okay. I think for context, we need to understand that um, the high school um, and above. Well, it used to be that high school was actually training people for more of an intellectual life and um, high school graduation rates were not as high as they are. It was it was it was a bit more of a professional training. Um, And to this day, high schools still operate more like colleges than they do like grammar schools. In a lot of respects, you 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 have a class schedule and you have a campus and you move around and you have different professors, basically, et cetera. Mm. Um, And and the reason why colleges are organized that way is because it's preparing people for a white collar professional career. Um, And grammar schools are preparing people for a working class career. Um, And that's the reason why 
grammar schools are very regimented. You're going to be here from this time to this time, and you're going to do what you're told to do because they're preparing people for a class that I think we should make obsolete because they're made, they're no longer necessary. We don't need the working class anymore. We have machines. Everybody needs to have a college level education or higher. Um, and so I agree, we need to massively reform our education system, but nobody's really talking about a way of doing that. Um, I guess Bernie Sanders is saying he wants to make it free for everybody to go, but the, much like, um, much like uh, that doctor uh, that we had on who criticized um, Sanders' Medicare for All system because he focuses only on how it's paid for, or, or not even that, but who pays for it, and yeah. not on the rest of the actual reforms that need to be done, he's doing the same thing with education. He's just going to leave our education system the way it is, but raise taxes and make it free, quote, free. So we need to have a conversation about how to reform some of these institutions, including education, that go a lot deeper than just how do we pay for it. I, I agree, you know, that um, defunding it is probably not a good way of making it better. Um, okay, now, as far, as far as the public versus private education thing goes, Milton Friedman supported um, something like a voucher system, and um, I understand the reason why he did it. It's because he wanted competition in education. He, it's not because he's an evil person who's trying to make it so that the average person is an idiot so that they'll vote for him. Believe me. No, Milton I, Friedman I, wanted people to be informed. No one, I, but I, he wanted competition in education. And when you have one institution, the government, who has total control over what you can and can't teach your kids, that's not necessarily a free market of ideas. Okay, now go. <laughs> uh, I... <laughs> Free market of ideas is an interesting concept, which I, in theory, like quite a bit. But in practice, it tends to fall apart because there are, th you know, when I think about the things that people on the right uh, are most vocally angry about, um, like public education stepping in as far as, you know, teaching scientific and historical fact, it doesn't seem like we're competing about like, you know, which curriculums are better and which which ways of, you know, how much homework is is the appropriate and how what what uh, class size to teacher balance. It's it's essentially we're arguing over what facts should be taught in school. And, you know, I don't know how you do that perfectly, but it seems like, you know, one thing you could do is you could get subject matter experts to agree on a curriculum. And, you know, that's that's you're, you're right. It's it's not necessarily about funding, but like and I don't think it, it's a bedrock principle of mine that I don't think anyone is like really evil. I mean, there are I'm not going to argue people to want to hold up individual examples, but most people think they're the hero of their story and they're trying to do the right thing. And they're trying to move society in a way that they think is going to be better for some at least some segment of it uh, or them, themselves and their families at, at the very least. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of a distraction to think about like, you know, education in terms of competition when again, like I think of like, like if a car company is wanting to compete, right. Uh, you're talking about, you know, uh, V six versus inline fours and what's the merits of, you know, turbocharge this and diesel versus gas. No one's saying that like, you know, a car should have square wheels or we should go back to horse and buggies or like that's not the kind of competition I'm trying to foster. And I feel like in the education mm -hmm. system, that's where the heat and the passion is. And like uh, the Overton window is an extractive example because most, the you know, Overton, Joe Overton was concerned. You know, he's, he's he worked for a think tank that did try to dismantle the public education system in Michigan. Um, and, you know, 
it's it's regardless of what people's intentions are the result is that we have a uh, 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 we have a ton of people that don't understand civics they don't understand economics they don't understand their place in world history where we are in the stream of it you know how much progress we've made how much regression and it seems like there's a vested interest for some reason to maintain that status quo and it's it's just it's 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 frustrating to me Okay. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. You first, Corey, and then I'll. Yeah. Just because, I mean, I think I think everybody gets frustrated when, um, you know, even just if there was like a course in deductive reasoning for crying out loud, like the the yeah, you know, it 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 does get extremely frustrating when when you're having conversations with people that can't onboard new information. They're 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 much more likely to get sucked in by a demagogue uh, from whichever you know tradition. Um, and, and it's super frustrating. What I, what I wanted to, to touch on briefly is that even in, in the healthcare conversation, you know, and it, when we were talking about in our, our episode around Yang's plan for it, mm-hmm. you know, I'm for a uh, single payer. I come from Canada. The benefits are ridiculous. The United States is some scrappy, blah, 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 all that mm-hmm. shit. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the consensus position that we landed on is there should absolutely be a universal floor, right? Stroke my belly with UBI. There should be a universal floor, uh, that 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 absolutely works, um, but that should not uh, disallow people with more means to have uh, 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 things that they want to do that are outside that system. As long as if they owe any taxes for the primary system, it actually makes sense. So, and that honestly, that's exactly what's going on in education, right? In edu- education, everyone's paying property taxes, and we can you know argue about better ways to fund it, and I'm sure those mm-hmm. exist. But like that, right now, everybody that in the problem, society yeah. pays for education, mm-hmm. and quite frankly, everyone in the society should pay for education, yeah, because everybody wants smarter people, because dumb people living in your neighborhood sucks, right? Yes. So that 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 whole equation. Um, but it, you know, as long as all of the money that is necessary to go to public schools is going to public schools, that's great. If you want to go to Elon Musk's fucking school of awesome, that's fantastic. But you're paying more for that, right? So the voucher system is directly opposed to that because it's taking money out of the public school system. Right. 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 Yeah. No, I, I actually have a hack for that. A consensus position, if you will. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I agree with you. You're right. And Milton Friedman is also right. And uh, let me say a little bit about competition. Um, It definitely should not be competition about do we teach facts or do we teach myths? Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's right. Like religious people homeschooling. I mean, fuck it. That's child abuse. Right. Yeah. That was endemic. Obviously, you want to get, um, as Aaron said, you want to get experts in to set the curriculum, which is more or less what we do. The problem is you you never want to to force everybody into a one size fits all system, right? It's like it's a uh, the um, when they were first making airplanes, they tried to make it so that it was all designed for the person with the average arm length, the average length leg length, the average torso length, etc. And what they found out is when you take all of these averages and put them together, there's nobody in the world who actually fits the quote average. <laughs> and, and then they started making seats and, and, and steering wheels and stuff adjustable, right? So we, 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 can't, we, we need to give people options and not just say, this is the one education system and it's the only one that you can use and you're just going to do that, right? Um, so private schools uh, uh, offer some competition. I think we should also foster competition within public schools. So that's part of the hack, and we can talk about various ways of doing that. But as far as funding goes, the reason why vouchers were something Friedman got behind is because for it to actually be um, competitive, 
you have to be on equal fair grounding for competition. And if you have a free option and then you have another option that costs money, that's not real competition because you're, you're using tax money to advantage one side over the other. Um, so here's my hat. We have, this is not something we can do overnight, right? But we, we, we have a, a VAT plus UBI. Um, it, we have a UBI index to GDP. We create a positive feedback loop. We grow the GDP until the UBI can be very large, okay? Once it gets really big, we take all the money that we're currently spending on, by then it will be even more, that we're spending on Medicare and public school systems. We roll it all into one even bigger UBI. And then when people choose, when people choose to have children, if they choose, if they want to send the, their kid to a public school system, um, that is paid for by taking part of their UBI. And if they want to use the public medical Medicare system, you do the same. Other alternatively, you can keep the money and purchase something, purchase private insur insurance or send a kid to a private school or even just not have a kid. Um, and this, this also solves another problem that conservatives worry about, which is incentives, which Yang, Corey, you keep pointing out, Yang's really good about thinking about incentives. Right now, a lot of the incentives are aligned such that, you know, we give tax breaks to people who have kids. Um, people who have kids who are poor, their kids, they get free um, childcare and free education in the form of the public school system. And it's all falling on the backs of middle-class people uh, in terms of how we're paying for it right now. So what I would like to do is have a system where the incentives are the, the other way around, where people have to take more responsibility for their children and for their own lives, while also simultaneously through this very generous UBI, okay, ensuring that nobody gets left behind. Everybody has the money to go to a good private school or public school of their choice. Everybody has the money to use a good public um, insurance system or a good private insurance system of their choice. That's the future that I would like us to build. Are you, uh, are you currently donating to Planned Parenthood? Yes. I fucking love you. Cause I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to catch him on this thing. But I had a feeling that maybe I wouldn't. And yeah, I no, really that's like, I, was like nope. I, I, I always tell my my right wing friends, obviously, there are social conservatives and or yeah, whatever yeah. you want to call them and religious conservatives. I call them regressive theocrats. Um, but the Republican Party has had to pander to them because it was the only way that they with their their little lim their limited imaginations could think of getting working class people to vote for an economically right wing party. Well, um, and now, now we have stupid, Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court, so that's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah, that was not a good idea. That's a pack with the devil that is clearly, um, you know, the devil's coming home to roost or whatever it is, as the saying goes. So, yeah, no, that is, uh, that is, that is not a good thing, right? Yeah, we, we don't want some, that. Wait, some wait, intellectual wait, wait. consistency. So, oh, oh, wait, I'm sorry, I just remember what I was going to say. So I always tell my right-wing friends, I'm like, you guys, you have to be for abortion. Abortion should be legal and it should be cheap and it should be accessible because there's no other way, there's no more effective way of fighting poverty and crime than doing that. Yeah, birth what control, if what you birth really want to do is have, sorry, Aaron, what if what you really want to do is have a really uneducated workforce to uh, work in your factories for peanuts? That, well, I would just say we have those. They're called robots and they're a lot well, now. Right. Exactly. But people are sleeping on that. Sorry, Aaron, go ahead. No, as I say, like, yeah. And I was going to add that, like, you know, birth control should essentially be free for anyone who wants it in any yeah. form that you want. Like you should be yeah. able to if you're 18, it should just be sign like like going to the post office and registering for the draft. You register for birth control and it starts coming in and <laughs> right, you it just starts coming to your house. You don't have and, to take it, but and it's if, coming to your house. And if, <laughs> if you want to if you want to opt out of it, you can. But like it's right. crazy to me that we're, you know, like uh, th these are some things that I like, you know, my, my 30 years of political history, it's like, I can't believe we're still fighting on some of these things. But, um, you know, they're, they're like convenient wedge issues that divide us. Um, but, uh, but about education, it's like, uh, 
what Corey said about being single payer, I mean, I guess that's ultimately where I come for, um, at because it seems I don't know how to solve the problem that if you give people with means the ability to have a better thing, they will be able to use that advantage to continually compound it over generations and you're always going to have these super wealthy people that, you know, after, after they forget, you know, because we've, we've had these fights in the country before, like, you know, labor has died in the streets to get a 40 hour work week, get the work weekends, to get holidays, to get paid vacation. Um, and a generation or two later, you forget those lessons and the uh, rich start thinking that, like, why are we spending all this money to prop up the, the working poor and the middle class? What the hell? This is our money. We worked hard for it. And they start taking it out of the systems and we get in the cycle that we repeats. Whereas if you have a system where it's like this is the system, everyone has it. Then if the schools are bad, rich people are incentivized to fix the system rather yep. than abandon the system in favor of something else. And like, I mean, this is kind of like, this is like, you know, I'm going to use a scary word here, but I know last episode, uh, uh, Rio said that he has read some Marx and he agrees with some of it. That's like Mark's key analysis of a lot of this stuff is that mm -hmm. as long as you have a better than system that people with means can opt into, that system will always be better. And the gulf between that will get bigger and bigger until you have some kind of societal tumult that causes things to kind of come back to equilibrium and we'll continue to fight that battle over and over as often as we'd like as a society until we decide to now i am a capitalist i do believe in the power of markets you're an idiot if you don't but i do think there's some things in society like healthcare, like education that those that competition doesn't get doesn't seem like it gets the the long-term results that we want and if we pull those out and say these things are for various market externalities and failures immune from uh, the, the for markets working the way we want, which is getting things better, cheaper, faster. Um, I kind of in favor of of doing that, taking select things out of the market and saying, yes, it's going to suck because we're going to have bureaucracy and it's going to be very slow to change and it's going to be difficult to change these systemic things. But we will now have the wealthy in that boat with us and their power helping us rather than wanting to just uh, get on a smaller boat and take off. <laughs> Before you a say lot anything, of rich people choose that's to send exactly to here's the thing. Schools. But not enough, and and their, their 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 power is not going there. Obviously, because most of the rich people want their kids going to private schools. Now, in in Canada, there are so many people with means that are struggling to make the Canadian healthcare system better. Mm -hmm. That that is a huge part of the Canadian healthcare system. Right. So I'm I'm extremely sensitive or sympathetic to this idea because, like, honestly, like it, if what maybe you could have a competition within the system where you have different parts of, uh, uh, you know, trying different things or whatever it is, which is actually how it happens in the, in the provinces in, in Canada. Right. Mm. But it means that you have to be engaged. You don't get to have a choice. Right. Right. And that, and again, we were talking to the ethics thing, like there, there, there is a spectrum of, of agency, right. There's a spectrum of, of freedom and individuality or whatever. Right. And that's the one thing I didn't really get enough time to touch on. Like there, there, there are benefits that get accrued when we as a, a democracy choose to put everybody in the same boat mm -hmm. because, and I talk about the, the, the oligarchy all the time because he's absolutely right. Like the, okay, the well, generational, I, so I, the generational wealth that will accrue over the next three or four generations will mean that trillionaires are gone. Like they've, they've even billionaires now have reached economic escape velocity where there is nothing that anyone will ever be able to do. And they will own things, everything, right? 
unless we figure out a way to rebalance the system. Not that people shouldn't be able to get, you know, enormously wealthy by comparison. Not that we don't want com- competition in this society. Not that we want to like close agency or freedoms down too much, but like the individualist side has already gone way too far. You know, wealth is the solution to poverty, not the cause of poverty. Um, I agree with you guys' concerns about wanting to improve whatever the public system is. I think part of improving the public improving the public system is ensuring that it actually has to compete with an alternative. Because otherwise, if you get a demagogue in there who has absolute power over everybody's healthcare and and their and and education, um, you're going to be in a seriously bad situation. That's the reason why decentralizing power is good. Um, so I agree with you that po- putting everybody in one boat, so to speak, um, does motivate, quote, rich people to try to make the system better. Um, but so, so can and does competition. Um, and, and, and in the, in the consensus uh, policy that I outlined, um, it's important to note that the problem of runaway wealth is largely um, tempered by the fact that we are redistributing equally um, you know, 10% or you could make it 20 or 30% if you wanted to, once the economy is healthy enough every year. Right. And yeah. that does, that does help. Uh, and, it, and the UB, uh, the VAT is actually better at capturing the kind of wealth that you're concerned about than income taxes. Income yeah. taxes really are effectively just a tax on labor. Yes. Yeah, so, it's a deeply regressive way of raising money for the government. Ha- hallelujah. I mean, because that's the thing I've learned is like I've because I've been I've been dirt poor and I've been modestly well off before I got into the podcast game and took a voluntary oath of poverty. <laughs> uh, I was making six figures well on my way to, you know, entering the solid middle class, um, especially in the Midwest. And what I was amazed as that the well more the wealthier I got, the easier it got. Like it's kind mm-hmm. of like in a rocket where, you know, the first the first 50 miles, you, you spend most of your fuels getting getting the first 50 miles in into the orbit. And then the atmosphere starts to thin out. The gravity of Earth starts to get weaker and weaker, and you need less and less to maintain that thrust and velocity. Great it's analogy. exactly the same way. Like once you get into six figure income, you can you your your dollars after that are untouched. And that's if you just play by the rules. If you start doing offshore accounts and you start doing tax of, uh, avoidance and certain start setting up companies and tax havens, it gets criminal. And, you know, that's like where it's like this competition, like, I guess. I don't understand how competition works in terms of like um, medicine and education, because it's like if okay. we had like if we had um you know, like, uh, like, let's say that um, we call come together and we say we're going to have two cereals. You know, we're going to have the the basic cereal the government's going to provide for your children, and then if you if you have more money, you can get uh, the the rich cereal. Okay, <laughs> uh, and 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 the rich cereal is like five or ten percent better, but you pay five or ten percent more. It seems to me obvious that if nothing else affected it over the next hundred years, eventually poor cereal would be made out of Soylent Green and corpse starch and rich cereal would cost a thousand dollars a box and would have every multivitamin you need to have a healthy existence. And it would, you know what I mean? It's like once, Mm. once you have a divide between the people who can afford better and the people that can't, the, the, the incentive is to make that thing better and better. And that's fine for things like cars and clothes and toilet paper. 
Um, it, it breaks down on things like uh, housing and, and medicine and education where you can't make informed decisions and where those advantages compound over time. And if, well, you could if you had a very generous UBI. That's my hack, right? What, so it, I, yeah. I, 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 I agree with you the, the that if we were doing this, nothing else, if right. we were doing nothing else, that would indeed be the inevitable outcome. Oh, you stroke right? in my belly. Let me address your concern about competition. It's, it it right? is so, true, though. Right. But here's the here's the concern. The leftist concern of the UBI is just that you're going to get a whole bunch of people on the UBI. Automation is going to take care of everything. You've got like essentially UBI is given to, um, you know, is, 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 is something given to the elite, to the working class to recognize the fact that we don't need you anymore. And what happens in 50, 100 years when budget gets tight? Is it going to be, you know, what what are the things going to get cut? Is it going to be UBI? It's always the first on the block. And is it going to be. Um, it, it, or is it going to be, you know, marginal tax rates on the ultra wealthy or capital gains tax well, or stuff like that? Well, if we like have that. a functional democracy, the UBI will be untouchable. But we've had... Much like Social Security is. As somebody who would like to actually replace Social Security with something else, I got to tell you, nobody, no, like working class Republicans and working class Democrats, they all love it. They all love Medicare too. You talk to working class Republicans sure. and they'll say, get your government hands off my me Medicare. Yeah, you know, works I mean, like, people like it. Yeah. It's not going to go away. The UBI will be safe. Especially as long as we still have GDP. a democracy, right? Yeah. But and that, if we lose a democracy, it'll be because a bunch of working class idiots elect somebody like Donald Trump and he destroys our democracy. See, that's Which the thing. is why you, college should be free. And the, the, the working class <laughs> idiots, that's that's the tension that I don't think you're getting, Rio, because like, that was something um, uh, big on the last podcast, too, that like, you know, these working class idiots didn't get there on their own. They had guys like Joe Overton uh, selling them down the river and pulling money out of their public schools and saying they're failing, which was excuse to pull more money out of schools. And, you know, what are the things we can do to ensure democracy stays stable and strong? And I think it's yeah. to make sure that we all have a single boat for things like education, healthcare. Maybe okay. you know, there's Let me address other the single yeah. boat thing because oh. we all we agree. We agree about the UBI. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that Yang is correct to see that that is um, an absolutely necessary thing not just because automation is coming, um, but because it's a, it's a more fair way of doing a, uh, a floor for, um, to make sure that nobody falls below a certain threshold in society. Sure. And we all, we all agree that we want that floor to, to grow higher and higher. I mean, I think it's entirely possible, this is not utopian at all, that in my lifetime, we could have a, a UBI floor that's so high that the lowest standard of living that happens in the United States is what we now consider upper middle class. That's a real possibility. So we all need to get out of the scarcity mindset. And the scarcity mindset is what causes people to vote for demagogues like Trump or Sanders. Sure. We need people out of that mindset, and that requires a UBI. As far as the competition thing goes, um, yeah, I get really concerned when people say things like, oh, competition doesn't work in housing. Competition doesn't work in food. Competition doesn't work in healthcare. Is that really what we're saying? In, well, so let me just say, like, eventually, there's basically nothing left for people to buy with their own money, and you might as well actually be a communist yeah. society. Ah, the slippery slope has a uh, has reared yeah, its ugly head. I think you're having an emotional <laughs> reaction to this, Rio. And yes, yeah. I've been saving that up for all the times that you sell to me. Uh, the the <laughs> like having like let's let's have a little bit of an imagination about this, okay? Like if it was just the three of us and we are the benevolent, you know, uh, uh, trifecta kings of the American empire. The triarchs. Uh, yes, the triarchs. Much better word. Well played. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. And, and yes, we're all in the same boat for, let's just say education, because healthcare gets weird and fraud or whatever, even though the argument will be identical. Um, and there's no choice. 
we're in it. We're all in the same boat. Wouldn't we, as a, as a, as a collection of triarchs, do something like the Ansari X Prize, or go into different areas and create levels of competition within yeah. this framework? Right? Like it's not like competition goes away, right? Well, like, it does kind of. I mean, no, that's, no, that's no, it literally point. doesn't. I, I, I'm telling you, in I, Canada, I, it has not. Okay. Right. Like, uh, and like, cause that's the thing, like you, you, all you know is this system. And sometimes I feel like you haven't ever looked outside at what the other things actually look like. Competition is not gone in Canada because they're competing with different, different uh, uh, parts of the country. And all of that data is tracked and it's open and it's completely and totally transparent. And they're all learning from each other all the time. And I feel like you either didn't know that or constantly ignore it. Yeah. But I mean, and that's good, right? So that's part of the reason why, when this republic is working at its best, states have more ability to actually set these policies so that they can try different things. But as you like to point out, Corey, voting with your feet is expensive and uprooting your family and moving just because you think the schools in, the, in you know, California are better than the schools in Kansas is okay. a big pain in the ass. That's so the what I would That's like is the kind works. of, well, let me finish. I would like the kind of competition where without having to move, you have more than one choice for where to send your kid to school. So I guess the, the main difference is, is you're thinking about it in terms of like, you need access to different points of sale so that you as a buyer can make different decisions. Yeah, and, exactly. It's about okay, giving oh, power fine, to right? the people. Man. There is a different way to do it that works better for more people. Right. And when, taking power away from the people and giving it all. Honestly, yes, that's, yes. But that's been, we that's, have speed limits, too. That's the tale of human <laughs> right? history. We went from ultimate uh, freedom where we could get eaten by a lion and one drought could take our entire family and tribe out to a complicated, interlocking international economic system where we individually have less freedom, but we have more states to security and and uh maybe maybe freedom as a species and you know freedom and liberty means a lot of things like freedom can mean freedom from fear freedom from you know uh having a minor health problem turn into something that kills you and destroys your family like i i i like backing up and defining these terms before we start talking about mm -hmm. well it's individual freedom and we're really concerned about individual 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 freedom because individual freedom has yielded to community uh prosperity ever since we started planting the first seeds in the ground and yeah no that's true it, it's and, about and the finding is, the balance you, you want to not slide into where we're all like you talked about last episode we're all matrix people and we're all in a goo pod and we're having pleasant <laughs> sensations pumped into our brain like there's but but the line is no longer rugged frontier like we can take the constanoga wagon out to the oregon trail and get a thousand acres and tame the land like the the line is not between that and the goo pods now the line is between kind of where we're at and the goo pods and you know going the other way and sliding into like mad max wasteland is sure. you know yeah yeah no i i agree i i i think that you there are ways of fostering competition even locally if you wanted to um which would actually involve basically deregulating education to some extent oh lord i should add though that um <laughs> well no seriously i mean like if you tie the hands and you say everybody has to do the same thing then what what, what exactly where, so what where if is the so here's a, here's an alt here's an alternative anyway yeah, um, let, because yeah, because yeah. I think this is what Corey's going to talk about is in terms of like constitute or constitution competition between the provinces and Canada. So like uh, great state of Ohio, uh, go Buckeyes. We have uh, in my utopian society, everyone goes to the same school. 
Okay. Everyone goes to the same type of school, has the same curriculum. It has the same standards as far as class size. It has the same nutritional standards and what we eat. They have the same start times. They have the same uh, guarantees for public transportation. Everything, everyone has the same, whether you're rich, or whether you're poor, you're going to go to the same school. And, and then Rio's like, but what if there's a better idea? What if you had a, uh, uh, an institution that evaluated, you know, like things coming from academia, things coming from uh, individuals uh, that have ideas for like, well, maybe we should reduce the class size or maybe we actually instead of reducing the class size, maybe we should get uh, pair every teacher up with like a teacher trainee for a few years to kind of like, you know, uh, like like you do uh, back and before you had the, um, the, 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 the salary cap in NFL, you'd have a star quarterback and then you'd have like the guy coming up behind him so it's not like a rough transition to a rookie you could have all these ideas and you'd have a you know people that would evaluate it and we could you know maybe uh, pass some of those things at the the ballot and we'd have like a trial program in certain communities that people could opt into and if those schools do better measurably then the entire state adopts those things and no that, that's exactly it so, well, so that, that's but otherwise because otherwise you got that, let that titanic and then it starts sinking and then the rich get in their little boat and they take off and the titanic goes and it's at the bottom of the atlantic ocean uh rusting so that but what that's, does the that's, rich mean in a future where people have the money that they need to go to the private school should they choose it like that's in a in a, in a, in a universe where the ubi is great but that's not where we live Right. Well, right. That's I'm, I'm talking about a consensus no, I, policy I, position. And right? I, I absolutely, I absolutely and, agree and with that. The like, reason that we get stuck into this mindset of either the public schools have to be the only option or, you know, we have to do away with public schools is because we are stuck in a scarcity mindset. We need to get people out of that. I'm, I'm just saying, like, if people have the ability to vote for which kind of education system they want, and there's you, there's a lot more room for innovation and experimentation when you can try more than one system at a time, right? Or more than two or three or whatever it is. And when the people making the decision about what they like and what they don't like are the people who actually are sending their kids to school and the kids themselves, once they reach a, 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 a certain age, that's better than having, you know, Uncle Sam deciding for us no, um, I, I, what they think is good for us. Oh, here's the nutrition that we think you should have. Well, nutrition is a, is a constantly changing thing. There are lots of different schools of thought about what is the healthiest way to eat. Uh, I, I, to me, what you're describing is the opposite of a utopia. It sounds like a dystopia. I wouldn't want to bring a kid into that world. It's just it's like it's like it's like welcome to well well welcome to the beehive. This yeah. is your role. There, so real. That since we're all data no driven, flexibility. There's sure. no, like you have no individuality but as you, a human you, being. But nutrition, right. you're since we're all machine. It sounds like a nightmare. To me. That's a great. Sure. Which which countries have better education results than America? It depends and, on what you mean by better education results. No, China is very good it's, at turning out people who are very good at making money for the state. Oh, this is Wait, like the, but are they happy? I don't this know. Is, we could have this a conversation is like, This is like that. the eugenics question we had. What does it mean to be more so? Yeah, but so like that the thing is like you, I don't understand why a society where everyone has the same scholastic experience with experiments done in the margins and we roll the data that we get practically from those experiences into a larger system. Like your example of nutrition is, is instructive. Um, yes, we learn things about nutrition. Some things, as we learn more, they're not the total solution and, or they're not the total answer we thought they were. Just like, you know, uh, uh, Newton's law of gravity uh, yielded to relativity, which might yield to grand unified theory. Uh, things, you know, the light gets brighter. We get we get as, as we go on, uh, we kind of course correct and society swings as a pendulum. But 
the idea that like our diets are worse now than they were 100 years ago well they might be because you know we've got high fructose corn syrup and sugar and corporations that in a competitive market people think you know things taste better blah 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 but you know the idea that like it's that that we don't know more about nutrition than we did a hundred years ago, and like you know, kids should have uh, a half pound of bacon and six eggs before they go to school every morning. Like that's just not true. Like w- things do get better. We are living longer lives, and I'm just advocating for everyone getting the benefit of that, and everyone having to go through the laboratory uh, and have that commonality of experience because it's not like. I mean, why is that like a a soulless beehive versus everyone kind of like having being in the same boat and having to lift each other up as it sinks or floats like it's so Aaron, um i wanted i wanted to talk to you about what you see as the difference between religious conservatism and the kind of economic fiscal conservatism that i i um support because um i uh i'm trying to think about a way of saying this that's not offensive because i really don't mean it to be offensive it's I'm just hard that to people's offend. brains work differently right mm-hmm. and, number you know two. we i i i'm very inclined toward in being an individualist mm-hmm. and that so for me the reason why i don't like religion is exactly why i don't like the economic left and, and so i'm wondering if people who are inclined toward you know like wanting to have a set of answers and that are dictated down from an authority upon them might have a, a preference for left-wing economics it doesn't seem like it um i'm a bad person to ask because i i clawed my way out of the uh uh religious uh, congratulations that, by the way <laughs> um but like i it doesn't seem like it because it seems like uh the people that like you might find a weak correlation between uh, people wanting authoritarianism, like the the mm-hmm. top-down solutions being handed to them. Um, and I don't think that's like, I think uh, there's people that uh, the, the authoritarianism is different than like the left and right axis because it appeals sure. to yeah. certain members of both sides of the politics. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's it's more of, of that. It's it's not like a, a left to right thing. It's more of like, you know, having, uh, you know, daddy sky daddy or daddy of the home or you know whatever handing you down these these the answers and that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about you know we as a society find the answers together and we experiment together and then we all benefit from the successes and we all suffer from the failures of those experiments and we we are constantly brought back to the table so we can try to improve Oh, sorry. If there's, oh, go ahead. Was that Corey? Oh, I was going to say, well, if the problem is if there's only one option, except for maybe we every now and then we do a little tweaking here and there. Or lots. Um, Yeah, we are. We are all going to suffer when when it goes wrong. And it will go wrong a lot, right? Um, And and so I I, I think. We suffer now. Like, well, right? I mean, and a lot more. I, of I, I think the main, the main point I'm trying to make is that there's a lot more room for innovation and experimentation when it's more decentralized. And I, I think that there is more than one way of solving the problem that we all the, the concern that we all share. Right. Which is that we don't want anybody just because they happen to be born into a poor family. Right. To not be able to get a good quality education. Well, oh, so agreed. I think it's really important to note that in the hack I'm proposing, poverty is abolished. There's no such thing as a working class. There's no such thing as the poor. Yeah, there will still be competition. Like but it'll, be the, it'll be it'll be more like the competition that you see in upper middle class and above circles. It'll be like, oh wow, he has a newer Porsche than I do. That's where it'll go, and I think that's a pretty positive place for society to move, in my opinion. Okay, two things. Um, is it okay for fifty percent of the country to educate their kids with vouchers? 
that uh, uh, Jesus is the literal truth. Oh, thank you for asking that. I have an answer that you are going to both like, or maybe I mean, not, like, that's that's where it's going, right? Like, w- w- there's got to be some kind of mandated. Yeah, you needed, you, I, I agree. Um, it, so that's part, actually, that's um, actually not my part, concern, by the way. Oh, okay. Well, it's. I think it's a legitimate concern. Sure. I think that. I think that we, as we've talked about before. Um, you know, in capitalism, you have regulation and Aaron brought up the very valid, valid point that, um, that basically if you, in order to have, what does it mean to have freedom in a chaotic system where people are free to violate your freedoms, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to have a state and you need to have some regulation on, on what is, what is allowed within the window. It's about finding a balance between the collective good and the individual good. But even more than that, frankly, like, um, I believe that I have more freedom in a society with a uh, in a de- liberal democracy than I would in Mad Max, because in Mad Max, uh, as a Ron rightly points out, I wouldn't have the freedom to not have my head smashed in just because somebody wants something I have who happens to be bigger than me. Right. That's not I, I wouldn't feel more free in that world. I would feel less free. So sure. that that I, I, I think that somewhat paradoxically or at least counterintuitively, maybe not paradoxically, counterintuitively, you actually have more freedom in a society with at least a certain degree of authoritarianism. But you have to find the right balance. Um, yeah. So where that's when concerned with education is, you want to allow as much experimentation as possible in order to encourage innovation, but you also have to have certain, you're not allowed to do this, right? And I think that you, it's fair to say, like your, your school, whether you're a public or a private school, um, if you're accredited and therefore allow, you 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 qualify as a school that you're allowed to send you're allowed to take children to and teach yeah. in this society, okay. you know you have to be licensed as a teacher. You have to be you know you you have to meet certain standards, so and the standards be should be lines. things like teach you know facts and teach critical thinking. That's but you know don't don't te- if you want to teach religion, then you have to do it in an objective way. You should do something like a comparative <laughs> religion time. course or did, something like that. Corey, did, am I crazier to he just say 15 minutes ago that he wants regulation out of education though? No, like, no, no, no. I said we I said we deregulate in certain respects. So what I'm what I'm just saying is the the debate about whether we should have regulation or not is a stupid debate. Of course you need to have regulation. The interesting conversation is what kinds of regulation do we want? Certain kinds of regulation stifle innovation unnecessarily, and other kinds of regulation are absolutely necessary. I think in some respects, we need more regulation. We, we shouldn't have accredited schools teaching people that the universe is 6,000 years old because that's not just a religious belief. That's factually false. Well, and there's there's like 150 different one of those. But I think I, yeah, I want to. That's I, bad. I, I think that I have an analogy. Exist. And Aaron, you, you, you tell me, we're talking about like collaborating in large systems. Yeah. And, and I want to make the argument that a, a collaborative system can learn exponentially faster than a separated one, right? Or a decentralized one. And what I mean is this. Uh, the AIs that are currently driving cars uh, for Tesla mm-hmm. are all connected, mm-hmm. right? The reason why their first year they were uh, uh, significantly better than human drivers, the year after that they were way better than human drivers, and now they're like 10 times better than a human driver, generally speaking, over like statistically. Right. It's because they're all networked. Right. Like every single one of those cars, every single time one of those cars learns anything at all, it's automatically uploaded to the master system. Mm-hmm. Right. So instead of being like, if it was each one of those cars learning for itself, it would take probably 10,000 years. Right? right. But they're also like, decentralized. They're decentralized and networked is what they are. 
Right. So they're, so they're learning from each other, just like you do in a competitive system. You learn from the failures and successes of the people around you. Right. But, the, but like, so what, what you guys are talking about would be more like if you forced all Teslas to only drive on one road, so they never wow. had an opportunity to learn about how to steer in other environments. I don't think that's it. And I don't think that's actually been it in, in, in Canada either, which I think is the misunderstanding, right? Like the idea that it's all, you know, the, all of the healthcare stuff has to be done exactly the same way. It's not how it works. No, right? not like, exactly the same. There's like a framework within, as in they're all okay. driving a car. They're all yeah. driving a car on a road, right? Mm -hmm. Like the healthcare is being uh, uh, served in Canada, right? Mm -hmm. All the cars are driving on the road, but it's not like every doctor has to do exactly the same thing. There's there a certain amount. Yeah. There's a certain degree of competition that exists within a single payer system. But of course the state also tells doctors like what they're allowed to charge and, 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 and so forth. So there, there's only so much room for competition. The kinds of competition that would, would, that, that stifles are things like, do I want a doctor who spends more time, you know, holding my hand and giving me a little bit more emotional support and therefore am I willing to pay a little more for it? Or while I'm getting my basic me medical needs met, do I want to be crammed into a room full of cots with a bunch of other people or do I want to have a private room with a bay window? Okay. That kind of stuff, those sorts of luxuries should be amenable to competition in a free market. In my opinion. Why? Assuming that there is a baseline where everybody's getting a, a Which massive, we all agree on. Okay. Again, yeah, stipulated, yeah. Right? Right, right? Assuming yeah. that there's a baseline. Because right now, a there's people dying, right now, right now, there's people dying in the streets yeah. while exactly. everyone is having this high-minded fucking argument about competition. Yeah. It's I agree. bullshit. Yeah. And I, you're, now, you're right. You're right. In, You're in, right, in the, where we want to go, that's great. Amen, Tum, brother. <laughs> tummy, tummy stroked. Anyway, Aaron, you go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say that. Like, I, I still like I. I don't hear the counter argument to because uh, you're like talking about everyone being crowded into like single cots and everybody's coughing on each other and stuff. That sounds pretty bad. Versus, oh, I've got my single clean room and everything's cool and I got a bay window. Look how amazing that is. That's not cool. <laughs> Like because exactly. you Rio in your bay window so cool. when 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 someone when when you're dealing with a poor person on the street and they're like, God, I went to the hospital and it sucked and it was blue and I got a staph infection by, by the guy coughing into my open wounds. And you're like, right. Pray tell, brother. I went to the hospital last week and I had a individual ward and and I had three doctors coming in and kissing my forehead with the bay window. You're not going to have any empathy towards his plight and you're not going to want yeah, to fix this. This is system. why people like your show. You're a very funny man. Yeah, All right. Yeah, I try let, to let, be. Me, let me I clarify. Be. I, I should say that um, I was using the example uh, under the assumption that everything is being done you know, in terms of basic health, health needs met and they're, they're getting, you know, sterilized, sterilization is being done, you know, protocol is being followed. So I, I absolutely agree that it would be totally unacceptable. For, and, and I, so and I, wanna, the, I want a high baseline. I, I want a high baseline and, 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 and a hundred years from now, it might be possible that we, everybody gets a bay window room. But well, like the question is, how do we get there? And I don't think we get there by putting the cart ahead of the horse and taking away the ability of individuals to to it, basically what competition is. It's a feedback mechanism whereby the consumer gets to say, I like this or I don't like this. If you right. take that out, there's no way for a person to to um, to express their distaste for the quality of service or care that they're receiving. I mean, yeah. And people worry about that in Canada, but the number of uh, uh, bankruptcies in Canada is fucking zero, not 600,000 a year. And the number of people dying in the streets from preventable causes is also pretty much zero. Well, right? I want to so, no, I agree. I want to reach it, across the aisle here to my friend, my friend Rio and say, like, look, 
I understand because we, we talked about the slippery slope argument and I understand like where you would see like, oh, my God, if we if we do this one boat philosophy and we do it on uh, education and we do it on healthcare because we agree that there's market failures and there's market externalities that we can't and there's no price on a life that you would put that if it's your life, your child's life that you wouldn't spend. So there's no economic forces that can really apply there. My God, where will it stop? Food mm-hmm. is food a basic right? Is housing a basic right? Is personal property? Like I understand where that can get run, and I want to assure you that I, I am on your side. And if if there's like a war between like you know eat the rich, uh, you get a bullet too, and and uh, and and yourself, I will be on your side. But I also want to just 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 put in this germ of an idea that if we mm-hmm. have a single boat uh, healthcare system, and it's not the it it, it 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 it's better and it makes us feel more united as a as a civilization a society and we try a one boat education system and it's better then maybe we can try other places where markets are failing and or, yeah. or and and like we can do that one okay. at a time with and 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 wear cleats on that slippery slope and yeah. and, I, and again and, and also like i'm very against uh, like you know, where I really part company with my friends on the left is where they start talking revolutionary and and, and applying this by force. I think my I think the ideas that that's we're talking about. That's you report about, them to the FBI. That's that's what uh, right. The the fact the the fascist. I mean, I'm not kidding. If the fa- they actually the, mean it, the fascist, if they're not just joking. The fascist and the tankies both. Sure, but what I'm saying is, um, shit. Yeah, you d- yeah derail me, Rio. Yeah. Um, Sorry, sir. Uh, I, I just think that we can, yeah, we can, uh, I, I want the whole thing I'm trying to do in three right turns is I am sympathetic to those arguments, those arguments that I was big believer of at one time. And I think that my, the ideas that we're talking about, that Corey and I are talking about make sense and, uh, mm-hmm. have some empiricism behind them. And I want, I, I don't want to make this by fiat. I want to convince people like yourself and I want you to go and convince your friends, just like you probably are hoping me on the other. like, uh, I'm wanting to moderate some of the worst impulses on, on the left. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I just think that like, um, when I say that the, the interesting conversations are happening between like the liberals and the the left, it's because I feel like there's so for too long and for for pretty good reasons on the right, there's just been this knee jerk, uh, reflexive dismissal of you know socialist ideas, so, social democratic ideas. And all my life, I've been told. My dad told me, "Just you wait. You're not going to have social security. It's going to go away. It's underfunded. It's going to it's a Ponzi scheme. It's going to go." I'm 43. Probably, he's probably right, though. Well, uh, you know that he said that. I don't, my wife and I are not planning on okay. it. Okay. It, 30 it'll years ago. It'll be icing on the cake in our retirement all plan. The smart, we are not relying on that. All the smart old conservative men are saying, oh, you just wait till Europe craters and falls. You can't have a welfare state like that. And it's going to create. And we're here living in the future. And I would like to go beam back and say, actually, they're doing quite well. And their happiness are, is rated higher than us. Their satisfaction with some of these services are rated higher than us. So you're, mm-hmm. you guys were just wrong. And that's why it's like there's this like this this knee jerk dismissal of these ideas. And I get it. Like I said, I totally uh, um, I'm afraid of the slippery slope myself. Something I had on our uh, a conversation on the the um, the, our Patreon stream last month is like, you know, have people ever really stopped and thought about what it would look like for everyone to be equal? Like what levels are you prepared to are you prepared to wear the gray pajamas? Are you prepared to be in the 10 by 10 boxes? Because if you take the GDP of the world. And you take the wealth of the world and you divide it evenly amongst all seven, eight billion of us. 
they're not great answers. That's it's, yeah. it's not great math. The only way we'll get the solid middle class life that for everybody is for everyone's boats to to lift for these underdeveloped countries grow to the be pie, not grow just exactly. The and we the best to, yeah. way to do that is markets. Um, you're, you're, you're not well, going to get I mean, an argument that, for that. Yeah, you're, I mean, I, I basically didn't agree with any, I didn't disagree with anything that you said. And I, I, I'll, I'll throw you a bone, uh, both of you guys a bone too. I think that it's fairly obvious that while a totally single payer system is fairly rare still, it's mm -hmm. fairly, it is, it's clear that countries with universal healthcare systems, whether or not they outlaw duplicative care, which the vast majority of them don't. Sure. Um, it, it, it is it is clearly better than what we have now, right? So mm -hmm. and and obviously having public schools is better than having ninety percent of the population be illiterate, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not I, I, I all I'm saying is we should keep in mind that just because something is better than what we have now and it might work doesn't mean it's a peak in terms of what's possible. There are other ways of of achieving these goals that can also thread the needle with individualism better. Um, and and it very likely could have even better outcomes as a consequence of that. So, amen. You know, we got to get people on both sides talking to each other. As far as the whole us all being in the same boat and having common experiences and so forth, um, that is something that I get from the alt right a lot as well. I find that they tend to have a lot of uh, they have a kind of collectivist mindset. Um, they tend to filter it through something like an ethno-state xenophobic way of looking at it. Sure. It's seriously fucked up. Mm -hmm. um, but I can't, still can't help but see the similarities. I mean, part of the reason they want an ethno-state is because they want, they're saying like American culture needs to be homogenous. We need to all have the same experiences and all of this stuff. So I just, uh, I, honestly, that, that freaks me out a little bit no matter who I'm hearing it from. Well, I don't think we need to be homogenous. I think what we need is we need to have a society that treats everybody equally under the law and create a, 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 a fair floor that constantly is rising you know, that's rising with the tide, so to speak, grow that pie, redistribute a certain percentage of the income every year, grow that pie, give people the ability to vote with those dollars that they are getting. Um, and, and, you know, like we'll, we'll move all up together is this the idea. I just don't think, I don't believe that it's necessary. Yes, it will probably work. If you force everybody into one education system, that'll probably work. I mean, consider just intellectual diversity. What are, what are the, I, I, I hypothesize that the the um, the number of intellectual breakthroughs would be lower in a in a system where everybody goes through you know a one size fits all education process because they're all you know it's all like the same exact information is being filtered through all of our brains. Um, so what we what we actually need is we want to have diversity and variety and competition, but also make sure that nobody falls below a very high standard in terms of education or healthcare or housing or anything else. Yeah, that's the biggest that's the biggest priority for me. I mean, like, I, you know, the the the, the just having just raising the floor because like yeah, right now people yeah. are getting left behind. Like people, uh, people are, are, are suffering, at a, uh, you know, at, at, a, at a huge clip. Um, and, you know, we all get mad at them when they make dumb decisions. Like, yeah. well, that's easily solved. Like, it's really it's not hard at all. Just fucking fun education. Yeah. And I, so, I, Aaron, before we wrap up, is there anything you want to tell our listeners? How can they go find your show and, and so forth? Yeah. Three right turns. Uh, it's on the Swizzbold network, swizzbold.com. Uh, we ha we're biweekly, uh, which means every other week right now, because I'm very busy on my other job as uh, as that platform takes off. Um, 
you know, the promise is always to have more of that. And I'm also trying to do a lot of interviews and collaborate with folks like your, uh, yourself that, uh, you know, kind of shares the same mission. And if you want to talk about fun pop culture stuff, then we are on baldmove.com. We probably cover your favorite show. Right now we're doing uh, Star Trek Picard and we're doing the new Pope, but we're start to doing, uh, we're going to be starting a really big show, Westworld, coming back for season three next month. Uh, we got Fargo on FX coming back the month uh, after that. We also do uh, first run movies and uh, classic reviews of movies. Um, that's on baldmove.com. Awesome, man. That's great. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm excited. If we can if we can come on your show, I definitely want to do this again. I want to have so you guys like- on a show. I, I uh, Maybe even do like a special because uh, I'm trying to find a way to grow this beyond the, the biweekly thing. And yeah, I mean, we, we have lots and lots to talk about because there's still probably hours and hours I would love to have uh, a conversation with you guys. And Agreed. I appreciate you. Uh, you know, thanks to um, was it Bob Benson that brought us together on, on Twitter? It was Mr. Bob Benson. Uh, thanks to Bob for suggesting us to, to collaborate and, and have this conversation and and uh, I hope uh, there's more to come. Awesome. All right. And do you want to say it, Corey? I haven't said that, said it before without like, yeah, I do. Moving forward is our combo. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to the Moving Forward podcast. Rio and I are so excited that the Humanity First movement is moving forward. Something you can do to help is go to movingforwardpod.com where you can find us on social media, read our blog, and support us on the Patreon. Right, Rio? Right. No, 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 ethics. Yeah, no, the ethics was fraught. I heard some, I heard some, some wild takes from you, Mr. Rio. So why <laughs> noble, uh, noblesse oblige? Really? That's, yeah, I it's wanna... not the word, not that he's meant. Yeah, anyway, so Corey, Corey's I, like, I, gets his dander up. He's like, ah, well, ah, and then Rio's like, hey, UBI, UBI. It's, it's sh- honestly, UBI. yeah, no, it, it, it puts you it, right it, Rio's. <laughs> Rio's capacity, and I urge everyone to get the Patreon version of that that I've already put up, right? So go join our Patreon. It costs a buck. That way you can watch it because you can see my face of this. And, and the one thing I will say for Rio is he's really fucking good at evading. If he knows he's backed himself into a just an unseemly corner, he will change the subject. And you're totally right. Fair. You can listen. Oh, oh, I'm going to write a big, huge thing about this. It's entirely fair. And so, the, the, but it's adorable and good. Okay, because we, you know, because the whole idea that he strokes my head with UBI is a true and b embarrassingly effective. It's like it's like it's like, it's like the crocodile really hunter. well. Like when he flips over to croc and just strokes the belly and sh- yeah, and they just go yep. limp. They no, that, the tonic. that's yeah. it worked. Yeah. I I'm totally guilty. Now everyone well, shut let, up. Everyone I'm shut just, up. Well, Corey, let me, let me say, let me respond to that for a second. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I don't see it as changing the topic. I was trying to make the point that if I have to choose between the tax and spend welfare system that we have now, which I made the case for being immoral and just doing away with the social safety net entirely and doing away with taxes on the middle class thereby, I would choose the latter. But I also agree with you that it's better to thread the needle between my default position and that default position and do a UBI instead, which is why I actually think that there is a long tradition of people supporting UBI in in conservative circles like Milton Friedman did 
it's it's because they recognize that it's a it's more compatible with markets than the kind of means tested tax and spend welfare state that that societies tend to default to. Belly stroked. 